0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 25 of the Uncharted Territory podcast. My name is Chad Olson, coming to you from Gilbert, Iowa, down in Cellar Dweller Studios, and we're really excited to have you here for another outstanding podcast. First, going around the Zoom room, I'll introduce my fellow podcasters. Uh, let's see. I'll start with my baby brother, Corey Olson, who I always tease and, and make go last, even though he is the youngest and is kind of our mascot. Corey, how you doing?
1: Well, thank you for that warm introduction. I'm doing great, brother. And uh, hello, promoters. Great to be back with you guys again. Uh, Looking forward to some great topics tonight. Uh, This is episode 25, as my brother said. So we are a quarter old, and uh, that is just some great news. Thanks for continuing to tune in, download, and listen to us.
0: All right. Next coming to us from Virginia, my friend, Stu Lowry. Stu, how are you doing?
2: I am thrilled to be here for our 25th 25th anniversary, our 25th show which is pretty darn cool. Uh, The Grand Pacheco forecast from Virginia, it is approximately 70 degrees. It was an absolutely beautiful spring day today. No humidity, just a beautiful, sunshiny day. Absolutely fantastic. Hope to have another one tomorrow and thrilled to death to be here on our 25th show.
0: Yeah, I forgot to add in the Gilbert, Iowa forecast. We also were a very nice day, about mid 70s, no humidity, almost too warm, but I was okay. Okay. There was a nice. I I don't. want to hit about seventy two, I'm. Um, it's getting too warm for me. Yeah, I'm the yeah. I'm, I'm a Cold weather creature. Corey, what was it up in Maplewood?
1: It was very warm uh, the last couple of days over Easter weekend. Uh, we had the day off of school yesterday, so we did some yard work here at the at the Maple Hood, as we call it. And uh, it was a. It actually got into the eighties yesterday and and Sunday, and then today was a little cooler 70s got some rain which was good needed that rain to cool things down so it's it's feeling much better now a little little muggy before that but it's it's doing better now
0: yeah i fertilized my lawn tonight before the show because it's supposed to rain tonight so take advantage of that free watering so excellent tim tim dalton out in buffalo new york how you doing sir
3: hey everybody i hope everybody's having a good post dingus day and uh here in, here in Buffalo, things are going well. We're, we're uh, normally this time of year, we're about at 50 degrees and we're gonna probably see 80 uh, sometime this week. And it looks like we're gonna be a good 15 to 20 degrees above normal for about the next week. So, so things are going well here.
0: Great weather out in the, the Buffalo area. All right, good to hear from you. So for our first uh, topic we're gonna touch on tonight you know, this This brings a lot of sadness to my heart. And like Cinderella, the band, not the fictional character. Like Cinderella once said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And of course, we're talking about the WWE Network. You know, I, I didn't realize how much I watched it until my uh, subscription terminated on the renewal date. And I was a day one subscriber. So sometime last week, it shut down. And you know, I waited a few days until it hit April and I'm like, okay, I'll subscribe to the Peacock Network. And I don't know. So far it's kind of a I hate to be the the grump, but it's um because usually Tim takes on that role. But um it's kind of a jumbled mess, you know, for the the whole search engine everything. And so far I haven't seen a lot of stuff that I'm interested in, and it just makes me realize how much I would. You know, I'd flip on the TBS Saturday night show for a few minutes before bed or in the morning when I jump on the treadmill, I'd watch, again, an episode of WCW Saturday Night or World Championship Wrestling, as it was called back then, or just some other matches and stuff. And, you know, I kind of lost my smile with the network when they ended the Hidden Gems feature about, gosh, what was that? Two or three years ago, I think they... You know, every Thursday morning, they'd put up something new. And for about a year and a half, they were throwing out some amazing shit. And every story, pardon my language, uh, India. But every Thursday morning, I before I got to work, of course, I'd check out to see what was new on the network. And it was was so cool. There was all this great territorial stuff. You know, around the holidays that one year, they ran all these AWA shows and, and loaded up AWA Christmas shows from like 81 through 86, 87. So there's a lot of great stuff. So I don't know, gentlemen, what do you think about the the wind down of the network and have you tr- transition to the peacock network and other comments. I
2: mean, it, the same, it's starting to feel like it just an enormous money grab by WWE, which I, hey, good for them in a capitalist society, I guess, but it just, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same kind of, I don't know if the word is renegade feel that the WWE network had, at least in the beginning, it just feels very corporate. And, uh, the search is a mess uh the um uh, i guess they're going through and combing out or taking out some footage which i mean there's a lot of questionable wwe footage over the years don't get me wrong but i mean good gosh if they do that what are they gonna have left
1: <laughs> yeah 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 i haven't um i've been on the free version of peacock since last summer when they kind of debuted uh, i got it to watch the psych 2 movie and uh uh, I, I've been, you know, tuning into some of the free stuff I haven't gone to the subscription yet. And uh, since they've added WWE, they'll have some kind of random things that you can watch for free. I started watching WrestleMania five the other night, actually, per James Jeffrey's recommendation from last week's episode. Um, but yeah, like Chad, I would I would love just watching, you know, kind of random stuff before bed. And uh, I don't know, I know, I, I haven't fully decided if I'm going to do the, I know, it's not that much money, but it's, it's frustrating Knowing that so much that was there is gone, and and uh, and some of it maybe edited even more it was already obviously edited because of the music. So I don't know. We'll we'll see if I if I go to the the pay version of Peacock or not. But uh, it is it is a, a disappointment.
0: You know. So right now, I think it's for the next couple of days until WrestleMania starts. You can get a, a gimmick where it's two fifty a month for the next four months, and they charge okay. you ten. They charge you ten bucks at once, and then you're paid up through the next four months so you might want to look into that and we actually have a special code for that on on our podcast it's like a sponsorship thing i worked on with nbc universal so if you enter the code give chad money then (laughs) we get a little slice it helps us keep the studios going and um you know of course wwe still gets their five billion so they're not going to be eating you know government cheese or anything so they'll be fine
2: cost a lot to keep this show going fans
1: it does. It does. Yeah.
0: We go through a lot of eggnog, a lot of chocolate milk, a lot of vitamin water zero. We're we're working on some more corporate sponsorships. Yes. So yeah, Tim. Any comments about WWE Network? Sorry, Tim. Didn't mean to axe you out there and put you in the corner. Nobody puts Timmy in the corner.
3: I've, I, I'm all about the peacock. Um, uh, I, I I did subscribe. I did the four month plan. I immediately watched the Psych 2 movie, uh, which I had been wanting to see, but have watched pretty much nothing else WWE related. Uh, I am going to miss it. It was very useful for me when I was doing those bootleg sets, going back and watching some of the old uh, TV shows. uh, Jobber matches are great to really pick up moves for people, and I, I, I... really got addicted to to watching the mid-Atlantic for quite a while too. And it's just going to be a, a wait uh, now until that, that content gets moved over. If indeed everything does get moved over. So I, I think we just kind of wait and see, and uh, we'll go from there.
0: Okay. So next we had uh, one of our listeners, our, our good friend, Pete, back Pete Bach. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <Pete> <laughs> he's, <Bach. laughs> he's Roland Bach's brother. He you may remember him from his stint in Japanese wrestling. Mm-hmm. He, back. Called in with a, a comment and Corey's gonna play that for y'all now. Fantastic episode, guys. Loved hearing about the
2: original set. Um one of the things that I always wondered was which one of the Road Warriors did Tom Tom work through to get, get the uh the team signed always wondered um i had heard that one of them wasn't happy about it at a later time but kind of got over it but um i was just wondering which if, if you guys know which one he worked through to get the get the team in and also um i i was tuning in to the uh ncaa's a little bit as well trying to see some of that stuff not the biggest fan of amateur wrestling but it's great seeing them get some some airtime on on television and uh loved hearing your uh inputs on on those guys giving everything that they had to to get out there and and do some good things as part of their collegiate career. It's fantastic. Take it easy. Keep up the good work. Enjoy listening. Don't stop.
0: Good point, Pete. Corey, you want to touch on that one?
1: Sure. Um, Now uh, we believe that uh, Tom's initial contact for getting the road warriors into legends was road warrior Hawk. Um, He posted that either in the old promoter or maybe his inside Tom's brain feature on the website years ago uh that that was the initial point of contact so um you know whether from there you know animal signed through hawk and maybe just kind of forgot about it you know you think of these legends they're involved in so many deals and merchandise opportunities it's hard to keep things straight uh but but as 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 we believe uh hawk was the the point of contact for tom initially
0: yeah i because i have actually seen firsthand from animal when i had him sign his legends cards when he appeared um, at the Tregos Hall of Fame, which he did two or three times. Um, And he was not ever belligerent or angry. He was just like, man, I don't know how. I remember the one time he goes, how does this guy make these cards? And he was implying that he just seemed like he didn't remember. And like Corey mentioned, they get thrown a lot of stuff at him. You know, for a while, there was a legends of wrestling video game series, even though our legends wrestling came first um th- there was a legends of wrestling i think action figure set i'm looking i have the jim Cornette one around here somewhere i don't know where the hell it went but i can't and and it may not be the same that might be not be the same one as as this action figure set i'm talking about but i think it was the one where you they had it like a bloody abdullah the butcher and a non-bloody abdullah butcher and they had different ones that way so these guys get a lot of stuff thrown at them i know a lot of times when we're talking to people about signing for legends um We'll show them either a picture of the card or at CECL bring some cards with so they understand it's not a video game and it's not this high priced, you know, high volume moving thing. It's a, you know, pretty uh, small but humble game company that a lot of folks, you know, good number of folks enjoy. So that's that's what we believe is the situation, you know, with with the Road Warriors Hawk. Spoke to Tom and kind of made the connections and stuff, and Animal just may not remember and recall that. So, so Tim, do you have any other recollections about the the signing of the Road Warriors to the Legends or who Tom worked with? You know, I I don't really recall off the top of my head, but but like like we were saying,
3: I think it was I think it was Road Warrior Hawk, and um, I I don't remember much other than that. I don't I don't recall the story behind it, where Tom met up uh, or any of the other details unfortunately.
0: Now Corey you had some uh some sad news today that was delivered by our friend Travis Heckle.
1: Yeah uh earlier this morning Travis sent Chad and me a message um Dominican wrestling legend Jack Bonanno uh died uh sometime I believe it was last night was the official date um he'd been sick for a while from what I read and um, for those who aren't familiar with Jack, um, probably his biggest claim to fame worldwide is that he does hold a victory over Ric Flair for the NWA title. Uh, Flair was doing a tour of the Dominican Republic in 1982. Uh, Roddy Piper was with him. And uh, Flair was concerned for his own safety and Piper's safety about leaving Santo Domingo, the capital city with the belt. So he told Veneno to pin him. Uh, so they, they did a, a finish where Jack pinned him. Um, and then, of course, it was one of those things that they reversed later, there were all kinds of you know, different ways they, they played it off. Uh, but Jack lived off of that for years and years. He was a star before then in his home country, and he did work other places. He worked Puerto Rico, he worked New York City. Um, I believe the WWWF the is kind of an under, underneath guy, not a big star. Might have also worked um, kind of the independence in, in New York City that was on the Spanish international um, language channel. Um, but definitely he was, you know, he was like what Carlos Colon is to Puerto Rico. That was Jack Veneno, um, legend in the country for years. His, his wrestling aired on Channel 9, which was Color Vision, or Color Vision. And uh, even reruns played for a long time. He had a son that wrestled briefly um, and was known outside of wrestling. He was appointed to be kind of a sports commissioner. Uh, I think it was about 12 years ago. I think it was 2009. I lived in the Dominican Republic for a year, for those who don't know. I uh, taught, taught school there for one year in 2004, 2005. And yeah, you'd ask people, hey, you ever heard of this Jack Veneno guy? Oh yeah, Jack Veneno and people people uh, loved him. Just a big time celebrity uh, in this island. So um, very, very sad, uh, very sad to hear about that. Um, little bit of footage out there. I'm gonna see what I could find. In searching this morning, there was a video about 19 minutes that claimed to have more of the match with Flair. I've only seen some short clips. and I didn't get a chance to watch it yet but I'll check that out. And if it's legitimate, if there's some good amount of footage, I'll throw that in the discussion board post for this episode. So.
0: So Tim, you know, we learned a lot about uh, Jack Veneno through Corey's advocacy and any other things you you recall or, or anything you want to say about Jack?
3: I just remember when Corey was down there saying that he was still kind of a household name. And if you mentioned him, everybody, you know, people knew who he was. And even though he had the to one big claim to fame it's big enough that his name has has endured down there so it's uh it's sad and i know cory did a lot of research on him so uh definitely sad news
0: Corey, you're you're There's so
2: bootleg of jack veneno running around right yeah, uh, yeah Corey yes. One. sorry Chad. yes
0: no yes, I, I, actually... I was just gonna say oh, okay. cory is so sweet because he's like, what he's best known for. That's the only thing he's known for. <laughs>
1: God almighty. At least outside of the Dominican. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, we do. it. We, we put out a bootleg years ago in our old Yahoo group. And uh, that was one of the few bootlegs that we had artwork for. Um, uh, promoter Mark Taggart um, actually did two versions of his artwork and uh, did a really good job of that. So.
0: Well, maybe we'll have to get that colorized and, and printed out for people at some point i, I that, forgot that mark did did that artwork
1: yeah yeah really the both were good drawings but i really love the the second one especially really really brought out good old jack
0: is that <laughs> does he have the nwa title in either
1: one um he has i think i think he both should. of them he's wearing a belt but it's not the it's just the local dominican heavyweight championship i don't think <laughs> it's the end of the, the 10 pounds of gold
0: <laughs> it's the belt holding up his drawers
1: well that could be that could be
0: well, yeah, here, here's to you, here, we're all, cheers to Jack. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers. All right. Stu, did you have anything to add before we dive back into our topic?
2: No, let's dive away, sure. I'm ready to go.
0: All right. So we're going to continue our review of the original Legends set. As you may recall, last week, we got a little derailed by Corey's surprise birthday party. And once again, thanks to all the fabulous guests who listened to that and everybody who for all our guests who stopped by and everybody who's listening to that i think we had a yes had a good time
1: it so, was a blast
0: so um first off we're going to start off with playboy buddy rose and tim's gonna kick us off with uh playboy buddy rose and in his recollections of that character in the creation tim you want to go ahead
3: you know, I always liked I, I always liked Rose. I, uh, I I remember when I first saw him though, I I wasn't overly impressed because he kind of came in as a challenger to Backland and I didn't really see him as a, that strong of a contender. And uh, I, I was glad though once I learned more about him and learned about some of the stuff in the Pacific North, Northwest that he that he had done and, and the runs that he had there, I I thought he was a great addition to the game. He was. Kind of one of our lower level guys uh you know in that first set so it was kind of nice to have somebody that could take a loss here and there but uh i know we 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 tried to get his move set together and uh it, it was difficult because we had some wwe footage but didn't really have any pacific northwest at the time so again he's one of those guys where we were just kind of grasping at straws to kind of really fill in some of the the, the moves that he had but I, I loved him. I, I, I had a great, great load of fun with him in the game and just was able to, to plug him into a bunch of different spots and, and tag teams and scenarios. And uh, but, but great addition to the game.
0: Yeah, I think if we do have the opportunity to release him in color someday, he will definitely benefit as more um, footage from Portland has made its way out there. And, you know, with with some of the stuff on the network with the old all star wrestling, there might be some additional footage of Rose. We might be able to sharpen that move set up a little bit. I, I absolutely I think,
3: agree. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think I even recall referring to the old superstar pro wrestling game to try to
3: figure out a couple. I, I, I think, yeah, I think we did that in a couple occasions. I think yeah. there were a couple of them we kind of went to that and, yeah. and and tried to fill out the the
1: last level two moves. So.
0: Thanks, Tim. Do you guys have any other comments about Playboy Buddy Rose and recollections? Yeah, Corey, go ahead.
1: I just remember that when Tom signed him, Tom talked about how eager Buddy was to be in the set. Um, we had a couple of other names that were signed for that initial set that didn't get released till later on. Um, Bob Orton Jr., Dan Severin, the Killer Bees. And we were kind of playing with the 24 roster a little bit and deciding you know, who should go in. And, um, and there was a, a moment where Buddy, Buddy almost didn't make that cut. But again, because of his enthusiasm, um, we, we made sure to get him in the game right away. And uh, that's a, just a, a card I've loved. He's done really well for me over the years. Uh, was my world champion twice. And uh, it's just a, a lot of great memories.
2: I, I love Playboy Buddy Rose. Uh, here's a guy also that when you're learning about more regional stars, my first exposure to him was on ESPN. He was in a tag team with uh, Doug Summers. That's the first I ever saw of him, and that's really all I knew about the guy. But uh, when we, before we signed him to the game, I, I'd read a, a fair amount on him uh, and, and learned that he was just a huge star in Portland. And it's those kinds of guys that just make wrestling fascinating because they're just stories, reg- regional stars. So many stories about regional stars, I should say, that are just really fascinating. And uh, Playboy Buddy Rose is a great one to read about. And, I've had a lot of fun with him in my uh, my Fed, too. He had a great feud with Rick Rude, where Playboy uh, was being uh, taunted for his less than svelte figure by Rude, and it uh, went for about a three or four match series, and I had a lot of fun with it. So it's, it's a fun card, and he's one I definitely look forward to the uh, color upgrade at some point.
0: That's, that sounds like a cool feud between Rude and Rose. Um, definitely. It worked well. Yeah. No, I, I always like Playboy Buddy Rose, too. I mean, probably the series you're thinking about, Stu is is their series on ESPN with the Rockers. That's and it. um, you know, he's that that was fantastic. Everybody remembers the, the super bloody match, but there was a lot of other great matches between them, between those two teams. And um, you know, like like you mentioned, he was just a great star in Portland and stuff, and um I forgot about that story you mentioned, Corey. Um, so, you know, thanks for bringing that up.
2: Yeah, he had a run with Backlund too, didn't he? Where
0: he he did a one match. He he just got one match in the Garden. Okay. But I also think isn't there a uh, there's a match out there with him and Backlund maybe from the Cap Center because I think a lot of those cards were on um, USA Network early on too. Okay. Um, but the the one match he had with Backlund is very good.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, so next on our list is the extreme icon, the Sandman. Corey, tell us about the Sandman.
1: I'd be happy to. Uh, so when, when I found out that Sandman was signed, I just thought, what an interesting character to throw into this mix. We knew Buddy Rogers, Harley Race, Nick Bockwinkle, Frank Gotch, and the Sandman. So just, I mean, but, you know, it, it was awesome. I remember, too, that um, Tom got a plug for the game on the Wrestling Observer website and uh, some of the names mentioned were Gotch and the Sandman together. And Dave Meltzer made a little comment about that seems like an interesting match I'd like to play out. So, uh, <laughs> But yeah, just a lot of fun to have uh, a ECW icon in the game, um, you know, definitely kind of mix up the variety in this original set here. You know, kind of a, and then Chad and Tim did more of the, the stats here, but I do remember as they worked on the stats, I knew he had to have the white Russian leg sweep and the Heineken Rana on there. those were, I just always remember Joey styles calling those moves. Yep. That was, you know, I kind of compare that to a lot of the champions of the galaxy guys with their big level three moves that you remember the names of the gladiator pile driver and, and Titan drop and all these other moves. It's like, you got to have that on his card, you know, no matter what the finishers are, those got to be on there somewhere. So um, obviously, you know, unique card for this group, only guy with a disqualification finisher. And, you know, you think about it, obviously he didn't, get disqualified a lot for the Kane and ecw because of how they did their matches but you know in, in a fed with frank gotch and greg valentine and all these other guys he kind of had to make that a, a disqualification uh, a finisher so um yeah i think he's he's a competitive card um you know he's not not going to be the the top guy of this original 24 but definitely especially with that Kane, he could he could pull off some upsets
0: Stu recollections on the sandman
1: uh, well,
2: I remember being happy to get the Sandman in the game because I thought he was a marketable name for that time period and, and really helped uh, make the set relevant. I was never a huge fan. I mean, I was, it was a uh, quasi or somewhat, somewhat neutral to ECW. I followed it a little bit, but I didn't get that into it. But it, it, the card turned out to be pretty fun for me. I had a pretty good feud with Bumbo Brazil of all people, with the Sandman. So, you know, it turned out all right. And uh, I was thrilled to have the Sandman, and I'm always a sucker for a good brawler. So glad to have him in the set.
0: You know, Corey, you brought up a good point about the Sandman and how, you know, he didn't get disqualified in ECW, but, um, you know, the the reaction to the vintage charts that we just released with the ledges expansion seven other people have mentioned, Oh, we should have hardcore charts or, you know, this chart or that chart. And, you know, maybe sometime down the road we do that. And that's when you maybe incorporate a a guy like Sandman and some of his moves. And, you know, if he has a DQ move, the, the DQ gets lowered or it's, it's nullified or whatever. So kind of interesting. Um, We didn't talk about that early on, but we do appreciate all the good response to the vintage charts. Yes. Um, um, Tim, thoughts about the Sandman?
3: He was just a great, you know, an, an interesting addition to the game, I guess. Uh, you know, the ECW thing was, was such a big deal and resonated with so many people. It was, it was kind of cool to have somebody like that in the game. And, uh, and, and I think that, that having him in the first set, he, he definitely provided a, a different look at things when you've got some, so many of the other guys were, were what I'd call more traditional-style uh, wrestlers to have somebody like like Sandman in there.
0: So, Stuart, we're moving on to the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase.
2: Again, here was a, a guy that I was well familiar with from uh, not the absolute height of my wrestling fandom, but getting there. In the 80s, WWF, the million-dollar man, that gimmick, anybody that grew up in our generation remembers him. I don't know, Corey, do you count as our generation? I mean, you're
1: kind of <laughs> Oh, I... Well, you know, I mean, I have vivid memories of of the Million Dollar Man. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: We'll we'll bring you in on the tail end. Yep. But I remember being more excited by the fact that we just had DiBiase in the game because it could lead to Mid-South version of DiBiase. Heck, it could also lead to maybe even eventual, uh, if you want to call him, St. Louis Ted or, or the Ted who was somewhat competing for the NWA championship. I don't know how different that would be, but it would be fun to have him around, young Ted DiBiase. But great heel, he is never, he's threatened from our world title or in in my current way of playing, I I haven't given him a world championship tour yet, but uh, he has been a secondary champion and uh, just a a lot of fun. And he's very, very vivid memories of DiBiase. So he's easy to use and easy to imagine his matches because we all have such vivid memories of him. Another really strong signing for the original group of 24 those wrestling fans even casual wrestling fans are going to remember him
0: so tim thoughts on on ted DiBiase, the million dollar man in in his original card and legends and he was one of those original seven cards that came up before the set was actually done yep. too
3: yep and uh you know i i i love DiBiase. i'm not a big million dollar man uh fan so uh, I, I really kind of was yearning for the days of the either the black glove or the the baby face card uh, from his NWA time but uh you know I mean this was this was such a big gimmick for him and he pulled it off really well it's just something i I wasn't even though he did a great job with it it's just something I wasn't overly fond of but he he kind of became our staple for the uh, I think the zero zero power agility. Uh, Standard and and so when when we would compare we're like well okay if if Dibiase was zero zero then where would this guy rank so he 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 kind of filled in a lot of slots there and 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 helped us uh, you know with some doing some stats down the road
0: so that's a good point about Ted Dibiase Tim um you know he was one of those original seven cards that were kind of sold independently and then brought into the game um I knew I'd won a different version of DiBiase down the line too I mean I, I understand the million dollar gimmicks the the popular one but that's not the one that I first saw 10 DiBiase I'd seen some mid-south stuff and a little bit of Georgia um you know Stu your comment about a St. Louis one would probably differ a little bit in terms of obviously not having the black glove I don't know maybe strength wise, what it would look like move set is probably the same. So that might be more of an up to you promoter where you change things up a bit. Um, Corey thoughts on Ted DiBiase.
1: Yeah. Like I mentioned a moment ago, um, definitely big memories of of the million dollar man as a kid, you know, that was about the time I started actively following wrestling, as I've mentioned before. Um, you know, even, even though he was a heel, I always just admired something about him, just the, the the cackle and the the music he'd later have, and the million dollar belt. Just a just a cool character. Um, I was excited too to get a, a mid south version because I you know kind of caught up on those things later in life. And um, but uh, yeah, as, as Chad said, we knew that was kind of the the bigger draw would be Million Dollar Man right away. Um, I used him initially in my fed, but as the uh, mid south version came out, I've actually used that one a lot more. Um, I did an angle. Uh, with DiBiase he had a long feud with Frank Gotch and uh, Gotch won his money because Gotch was the southern champion and DiBiase you know he would do anything to get the, the belt back so he put up his fortune and Gotch beat him and it kind of drove DiBiase out of the fed for a while so he went back to his roots and wrestling and then returned for another feud with Gotch with Gotch in, in kind of the heel role later on. Uh, yes Chet?
0: So I had a thought if you wanted to bring him back as million dollar man, you could weave in the real life thing where he stole all the money from the state of Mississippi
1: <laughs> and, and then he's got his money back. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I got to use that million dollar man color card now. So that's exactly. I, I, was, I was wondering how he could get his money. OK, I'll have to remember that.
0: Hey, I'm um, here here to book others. Feds.
1: He and Chad is the best the best booker. Uh, But as Stu mentioned, you know, you could really imagine DiBiase wrestling because you've seen him so much. He just had a unique style of bumping and working. And, yeah, as I played those first couple of years with those original cards, no matter if he was wrestling Gotch or Giant Baba or Bobo Brazil, you know, whoever it was, um, you could definitely imagine him, you know, selling for these baby faces, um, pulling out a win, you know, locking on the million dollar dream or sleeper. And uh, yeah, it was, you could just definitely see him against all kinds of wrestlers.
0: All right. So next we have the Valiant brothers and I actually interacted with Jimmy Valiant over email. And one of my biggest regrets in life is that when I got a new computer, I lost the emails I had with Jimmy Valiant because he wrote like he talked. I, I had to email him to, you know, I was asking about some of his moves and if, they did any you know double team moves or finishers and he's like brother this brother that it was so ridiculous and we hit the big super elbow so that's why it's called the super elbow on the cards because jimmy valiant said it was a super super elbow and one kind of humorous thing is that um you know tom said to tim oh i have jimmy valiant sign and and um tim goes oh he should try to get johnny valiant and he goes wait is that the same guy as johnny v because oh, tim had been talking to johnny valiant and but only referred to him as johnny v and he forgot that they were actually brothers because uh, tom didn't see that you know growing up where he did so he never saw the Valiants. so um yeah we can we thankfully kind of lucked into that one after after tim reminded him that connection and um you know, they were a fun team to develop and put together and you wanted to have, you know, there weren't a lot of natural teams in this set. You, you know, you had the Warriors, you had the Sheik and Volkoff that we talked about last time where they're strong singles guys who are great tag wrestlers, but then you had the Valiants and that was a great connection to the 70s, a different era, but one of the first kind of flashier teams, you might say, um, in professional wrestling. So, and I did get to meet Jimmy Valiant at the CAC, um, I don't know, five, six years ago and I got his autobiography, which is the biggest book I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. It's like 600 pages. It's crazy. He he details his career like you wouldn't believe, and it's awesome, and the inscription on the book is about as crazy as these emails. We're like, thank you, brother. God bless the boogie woogie man, handsome Jimmy Valiant, all this and that, so takes up a full page, um, but he was a great guy, and of course, I got to meet Uh, Johnny Valiant at the Galacticon he attended and and he seemed like a a very nice guy as well so uh, you know he had his tragic death a few years ago and then that car accident Um, so uh, yeah sorry to see that because he's he seemed like a great guy but again having a team like the Valiants in the game really just solidified things in my opinion Corey what do you think
1: yeah, like Chad said, we lucked in a, a, another natural tag team because for a while there it looked like we would just have, you know, the Road Warriors and Sheik and Volkov, which are great, but just to have somebody else in there. Um, yeah, the uh, uh, Johnny V, as Chad said, came to Galacticon 2003, I believe it was. And uh, nice guy to talk to, you know, he kind of did his little comedy shtick and, and that was entertaining. But if you got him, you know, in a kind of a small group and, and out of the, the limelight, he was... Really just really nice, nice, humble guy. He told some good memories and was asking about some of his, uh, his former um, wrestlers, his former opponents and how they were doing. He hadn't heard, hadn't really kept up with the business that much, but really nice guy. So that was, I'm glad Tom was able to get him to come. Um, as, As far as the cards, you know, great competitive tag team, never won the belts for me. And actually with those original tag team cards, they had a lot of singles upsets. If you look at Johnny's card, his original card he had, a a double team move on number four level three offense a zero finisher on number five and then the tag finisher and you know kind of the way we originally worked tag finishers is that if you rolled the tag finisher you just and in a singles match you roll on the same level of offense and that you know eventually what we call the havoc rule kind of got adopted into legends um, which would have made a big difference with with that card um, these days if i used it uh, so Johnny was able to pull off a lot of upsets by just continuously rolling on level three until he'd hit his his finisher or or some other three move. But yeah, a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad we could eventually do Boogie Woogie, and Boogie Woogie's done a lot in my fed. So, but I'll save that for for another episode.
0: So Tim, talk about the Valiants because were you around? Like, were you watching WWF when when they were on the TV, or did you not have it at that point?
3: I, I was, but I was I was younger. I was probably watching it during the first run. The second run, I'm not I'm not sure. We may not have had TV uh, them on TV in Rochester at that point. But going back and doing the research for the bootleg sets, uh, good God, you don't you know you don't realize what a big part of everything they were in both their their runs in the in the WWF, and so many things revolved around them, house shows revolved around them. They were doing, uh, you know, tag matches, three out of five falls with all kinds of different tag partners. And they were really a, more of a linchpin of, of those WWF years that, than people really give them credit for. And I, they, they did an angle at the kind of the, the end of their run where, where they almost teased a, a face turn when they kind of broke away from Albano and I really think they could have made a, a great face team. I think people would have really taken to them, but unfortunately they never pulled the trigger.
0: Okay. Thanks, Tim. Stu, any your memories about the Valiants, researching them for the handbook or just you grew up in the mid Atlantic. So you probably are a big Jimmy Valiant fan.
2: It was Jimmy. Yeah, I was most excited to get Jimmy Valiant to be, to be honest. And because uh, I remember the boogie woogie man very vividly and um, didn't know as much about the Valiants. Now, I've had a lot of fun with them over the years. Uh, they have become a great uh, upper mid-card team for me, occasionally threatening for the belts. Uh, but recently, I've, I've, I've used Jimmy's card more as a singles competitor, more because I got into a lot of uh, Memphis memories in the past two or three years. And uh, Jimmy was a big deal in Memphis and uh, was a fantastic heel, as well as a babyface from time to time. So I've had a lot of fun with that card, utilizing him in that capacity. But the Valiants are a fun team. They can threaten for the belts. They have won the belts one time for me. They didn't hold it long, but it was, uh, it was a fun time using them uh, and I've always enjoyed using that team. They're just, their matches have always been entertaining for me. Those cards were well-constructed and uh, well done.
0: All right. So moving on to one of the main players of the set, um, huge name for the signings and was on the original game box for legends, Buddy Rogers. Stu, you want to talk about Buddy Rogers?
2: How do we wind up with Buddy Rogers? I mean, that's, it's arguably uh, not, not even arguably it's one of the biggest names in wrestling history. If you have not read, we have, we have shielded here before the Buddy Rogers book that came out around Christmas Highly recommend that. It is a great study of that era of wrestling. And, uh, and I've gained an even greater appreciation of Buddy Rogers after reading that. And uh, the original Nature Boy, he was a huge name to get in this set. Uh, uh, wrestling fans, true wrestling fans are gonna know the Nature Boy. He, he, if Nick Bockwinkle is my one A as far as great heels go in my feds history, then Nature Boy's one B. And 1B with a bullet, because he's gaining fast, because uh, I keep using Nature Boy uh, in a lot of different capacities. Uh, Rogers himself was the the heel you love to hate, and the heel you probably ultimately just loved. Uh, he had that kind of charisma, uh, incredible performer in the ring, and he gave us uh, he gave us the headliner main event heel, the that, that, that set, which was, I mean, we've always been a little heel heavy in Legends of Wrestling, if you get down to it, but... Uh, Buddy you can use in a number of different capacities and just was just a major headliner for us to get. And I just, I I couldn't believe it when we did get it. And I'd love to hear the story behind that because I don't know if I've ever known it. So great to have Buddy Rogers. That was a huge name, it was a huge get for this set.
0: Yeah, I have no idea how we signed him. We'd have to ask Tom about that. I'm, I'm not sure how we made that connection, but you know, as you said, I think my appreciation from him has grown even more the past few months after reading Tim Hornbaker's book. And you know, we're we're so dumb because we show all this stuff and, and plug all these people. We don't make any money from it. Man, we need a new agent. We need a new agent, we need new interns. We need HR. Um, uh, but yeah, check out that Buddy Rogers book. It is fantastic. I told Mike there was a after reading it, it's like, man, I want another crack at a Buddy Rogers card just because I want to switch out a couple moves, you know, because it talked about, remember when it talked about some kind of sleeper or something he used in it? You guys remember that? It, but it was like, it had a goofy name. But I'm like, oh, we could substitute with that chokehold on his level three choice G move. Um, and then there was some other move he did. I'm like, oh, we should switch that one out too. But um, I, I don't know. I'll do some research and let you all know sometime so you can take markers to your cards and, and fix them all up. Um but no, having Buddy Rogers was fantastic. I don't know, Corey. Do you have anything else to say about Buddy Rogers?
1: I mean, I'll just echo everybody's statements. What a great name to have um, in this game that was representing all of history. And looked at the history he was involved in with the leaving the NWA and you joining or starting basically the WWF. Um, just, uh, just an amazing name to have. Um, I believe the only guy in that first set to have just a straight plus four singles finisher at least road warriors had the tag finisher and snooker had the roll finisher possibility but i believe the only straight up plus four of that 24 set so um just showed the the level of toughness he deserved for his card and yeah just an awesome name i've got the book too i have unfortunately not started reading it yet but i will get to it heard a lot of great reviews about it not just from these guys but all over the place. So yeah, definitely definitely check out uh, Master of the Ring.
0: So Tim, thoughts on the original Nature Boy Buddy Rogers?
1: Yeah, uh
3: just one of the best ever. Uh great in my Fed. I, I thought it was a good drawing by Chuck. Um you know kind of captured the whole flamboyance of, of the Nature Boy gimmick. And uh yeah just I he he's been a staple for me, you know, in the NWF or was a staple for me in the NWF pretty much from from start to end so yeah big big huge name to get
0: all right thank you tim uh Corey, you're up with the next two they're not connected so we'll we'll introduce them individually but uh how about first killer kowalski
1: yeah just another huge name uh from kind of that golden era of, of tv wrestling um you know i i don't know if i don't know how he was signed if tom went to his old school or or what um, or maybe it on an indie show. I don't, I don't know what, what the story was there, but just when I heard that he was involved, um, you know, just a just a great signing. You know, that artwork on that original card definitely a younger Killer Kowalski. Maybe even when he was known as Tarzan Kowalski, um, the later drawings he'd have that more recognizable mean man face and. And uh, you know what? What a lot of fans would probably recognize him. But you know, if you hadn't seen the younger version, you saw this original drawing, which is a, a good drawing. But you might not think that you'd think that's Killer Kowalski. Um, I remember in making this card, you know, we had some discussion on should the finisher be a face claw or a stomach claw. And you know, we the claw hold the face claw is the finisher, but stomach claw is a three move. Um, and you know, from different reports and results i've seen i think both were reused were uh, interchangeably so eventually when we did the limited edition card and then his later color card i think we just settled on kowalski claw and kind of an up to you promoter my source for um going with the stomach claw was actually an early episode of seinfeld where kramer talks to george about uh, george is saying that he's having stomach problems. Uh, and his guts are just churning and, and Kramer goes, Oh, it's like killer Kowalski. And George didn't know who that was. So um, Kramer demonstrates the stomach claw on George. So <laughs> I know, I know uh, Travis Heckel's a Seinfeld fan. So I figured he would appreciate that. Maybe others are as well.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you can't <laughs> trust, if you can't trust Kramer for your wrestling research, who can you trust?
1: <laughs> so yeah, just a, just a great, uh, great. And, you know, kind of uh, along with the giant Baba, kind of the two giants of that first set uh, physically speaking. So uh, just, just cool to have a couple big guys in that, in that first set.
0: All right. Stu, Killer Kowalski, what do you think?
2: Well, I, had, I knew of Killer Kowalski more as the, the mean old man, or not old man, the mean man that Corey described. What I, I gained an appreciation of as Killer Kowalski as a younger wrestler, just what a physical freak the guy was. Uh, it, it became even more of one. Uh, in terms of his stamina, in terms of just always on the go, constant action in the ring, uh, just constant motion. And I even I used him sometimes as just like a, a tough face it, from time to time. And he, he fit that mold too. So he fit a couple different niches for me in my Fed. I've grown to be a pretty big Keller Kowalski fan. I just think he was uh, a physical marvel, uh, certainly a huge man, but could move. uh like a a much smaller man and his stamina was just incredible. It was freakish, the the, the amount of stamina that he possessed. So my appreciation of him certainly grew with this game and utilizing that card and then wanting to learn more about him.
0: So Tim, with Killer Kowalski, what are your thoughts about, about this guy? And, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the confusion about the claw and whether it was the head or the stomach. So then with the Legends, you know, Legends or the limited edition card, excuse me, Put making it the Kowalski Claw, but what else do you remember about us researching him?
3: I, I remember that that we kind of looked at the drawing and said, "Well, it's a good drawing of his younger days, but geez, I remember him more for that 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 face, that sour puss of a face that he always had, you know." And I, I'm glad that we got to do that with the le card uh, and eventually his color card as well. But that that's about it. I mean, I, I think we we needed to make him like a, a really strong type of a B plus player. And I, I thought we did a really nice job uh, doing that with, with his stats.
0: All right. Yeah. So I was, I was excited to have Kowalski's a huge name. Um, again, reading that Buddy Rogers book, you realize how much they clashed, even though both were heels. And it sounds like a lot of the times fans would back Kowalski in those heel versus heel meetings. And I think I said last time I met, I had him and Ox Baker as a tag team initially because of their black tights with the red stripe down their leg but ha- having kowalski was cool I-, I liked him he's he's a great wrestler um so next one of the few legends on this list might be the only one that i ever purchased a beer for and and Corey, that's red Base you want to talk yes. to us about red base
1: i'd be happy to yeah uh red base they was maybe to fans at the time maybe not as well known but more footage and more things have come out uh, over the years with YouTube and, and other sources. Um, yeah, just in real life gentleman, uh, just a fantastic guy. Came to Waterloo and Newton, I believe, as well, even before it was in Waterloo. Yeah, yeah,
0: um,
1: yeah just a wonderful gentleman. Also, I've, I've sat by him at the bar and had beers with him as well, and uh, just a great worker for his time. Just really known for a fast-paced, high-flying style for that time frame. You know. I remember reading something about him where people thought if moves like the moon salt and the, the shooting star press had been around during Red's heyday, that he would have been trying those things. He would have been the guy, like a Will Osprey or AJ Styles or one of these guys, you know, that everybody else would be copying. And uh, you know, if you've never seen Red's flying head scissors, especially for the '70s, but even today it holds up. It's it's just amazing the rotation he gets and the speed uh, he, he gets in hitting it. Um, you know, you compare his card to some of the other 20, 23 in the set, um, not the strongest card, but definitely a competitive card. He pulled off a lot of upsets for me in the early days and has been around my fed a long time off and on. And, uh, just a fun, fun card to have in the game is kind of that middle card challenger. You know, can even pull off an upset be in the title picture perhaps. Um, and, but yeah, just, a just, I'm just really glad we could work in a name like this into this first set.
0: So, so my memories of red, um, you know, like Corey mentioned, he was at those initial, um, Newton hall of fame gatherings. And then also when it, the meeting moved to, when the hall of fame moved to Waterloo, I recall buying a beer for him at the, the Newton hall of fame. We we're at standing at the banquet bar. And I'm like, I'm going to buy a red base a beer. Cause he's, he's, he's in line behind me. I'm going to let him go first. And then I'm going to grab his beer. um, and I didn't mean like I grabbed it and ran away. I actually paid for his beer. I was trying to be polite to him. Let's clarify. I, I I always admired his mustache. It was a thing of yes. Being, oh yes. He had kind of the Yosemite Sam gimmick going on there. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, like like Corey mentioned, and like I've seen in research. Um, it sounds like Bastine and Billy Red Lions, they were like a rock and roll express type team in terms of just the, the quick tags, high flying, that sort of thing. And, you know, he was very involved in the CAC as well. He was the CAC president um, before what did it go before Nick Bachwinkle or before Kyle Lauer? I can't remember the, the thing, but he, he was a CAC president. So I think that's initially what brought him out to Newton because that first banquet, as we've mentioned before, was in conjunction and actually was a CAC reunion as well. Um but, but super nice guy. And one thing I did with him before my AWA closed down due to the dreaded ring crew strike, I had him with Giant, or not Giant Baba, with Bobo Brazil, and was there one other face? Oh, the Destroyer. And they were like a three-man team. And (laughs) Red had battled somebody for the secondary belt, the America's title, and hadn't won it. And then Bobo won it. This kind of frustrated Red. And they were feuding with Sheik and Volkov at the time. So Red-based team became the Russian sympathizer, Comrade Red. And... Then he went on a tear and won my world title. <laughs> it was, it was pretty ridiculous. So I um, had some fun with that card and definitely it was cool to get Billy Revives in there. So you could reunite that tag team and just have a kind of a, a great team from that era to maybe feud with like the Valiants and, or the Love Brothers, or
1: guys like that. So Corey, did you have something? I just wanted to yeah, talk about your comrade red time because I remember um I had scanned Red's art. Well, all the artwork at the time I had scanned copies and I used whatever paint or Photoshop or whatever. And I put together a Comrade Red card. I took someone's beard. I think Ivan Koloff's beard and pasted it on him because I figured he'd have a beard. Well, of course. And then, and then I found a, um, I think it was from Nikolai Volkov's second drawing, the Cossack cat. Yeah. Pasted it on top of him. <laughs> and I even, and I found a, a sickle and hammer, put that in the background, and. Um and I unfortunately I don't have that artwork anymore, but uh, that would that's a collector's item time. There you that's go. There <laughs> you go. Know.
0: The comrade red card that could pull a lot of money at the Galacticon
2: Ox. There you go. <laughs> All
0: right. So, Stu, what do you think about Red Base I,
2: I loved Comrade Red. If you hadn't brought that up, I was gonna bring that up. That was a fabulous <laughs> angle. I knew more about Comrade Red than I knew about Red.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and actually what I was going to do to turn him face was Ivan Koloff had come in and, you know, so I was going to have him join the team. So it'd be Volkov and Koloff and Comrade Red. And then finally they were going to bring George Hackenschmidt was going to come in and he was going to be like. The super Russian and the Volkov and Kolov. Oh my gosh, we're bringing in the great Hackenschmidt and all this stuff. And Hackenschmidt was like, "That guy's not Russian," and they were they were gonna they were gonna boot Comrade Red out of the Russian trio for not being a a purebred, a pure Russian. So
2: that's got legs. I think you ought to hold on to that. I mean, I might, it
0: yeah. might recycle that sometime.
2: I, I think you yes. should. I, I've gained, he's one I've gained an appreciation of. I think he was an innovator for his time, a high flyer for his time. And I think it was Cornette, no less than Cornette at one point, was talking about his team with Billy Red Lions and how over they were as faces and uh, how kind of underrated they have become with the passage of time. Uh, people just not remembering them or, or those who had watched them not being around anymore to say how great they were. But he is also one that the, the color iteration of his card I have just loved. Uh, the stats got tweaked a little bit and made uh, – Red just that much more competitive, and he makes him a, a, a solid singles wrestler. And I think that's kind of where he belongs. And yeah, I think y'all did an excellent job of, of taking that and giving him just a slight tweak up, which is I think was merited.
0: So Tim, what are your thoughts about Red Bay scene? Of course, other than what I've already recapped with the famous comrade, Red, give me. <laughs> you
3: know, Red for me was a lot of fun. He, uh, in the early days, he he was everybody's tag team partner. He he kind of was that guy you could put in any team with any good guy, and it just made it seemed to make sense. Uh, was just seamless in my Fed. Wound up uh, uh, kind of uh, fighting all the 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 foreign guys in my Fed. That was kind of one of his traits. But, uh, and I think he was somebody that, that as we learned more about him, I think we knew it's like, yeah, that card's just a little underpowered. So I think we kind of took care of that when, uh, when we did the color edition. So, yeah, but, but red's, red's a classic and, and one of the great guys in the Cauliflower Alley Club as well. So, I mean, uh, uh, just a, uh, another, you know, I, I say this all the time, but just, a, it was a, just a great addition for that first set of, to have him in there.
0: So Tim, why don't you start us off talking about the, the Valentines, Greg Valentine, his father, Johnny Valentine. Again, a couple of those original cards that were created even before the whole set was done and, and how those came about and what we did with them.
3: Yeah, I think we, we pretty much piggybacked off of the stats that Tom had kind of originally put together for him. And I don't, I don't, I don't recall changing them a lot, I mean, I know we wanted to make Greg a little bit better because we thought that seven-four pin might have been a little bit of a, a shot for him not showing up at Galacticon. Um, seeing that, you know, this is a guy that was a tag team champion or a, a secondary champion every place he went and was always on top and always was in, in the mix uh, as a main eventer. So I think we, we tried to bump him up a little bit. And I, I think that uh, they were kind of a nice, not having a lot of natural tag teams in the, uh, the original 24. It was kind of nice to have the father-son combo there to kind of, you know, uh, throw to and, 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 and work with throughout the, uh, uh, you know, the first couple game editions.
0: Stu, what do you think about the Valentines, Greg and Johnny?
3: Well, Greg's in my wheelhouse because that's
2: the height of my fandom of Mid-Atlantic. And I remember being legitimately scared of Greg Valentine. I just thought he was, he just came across as a legit tough guy. Uh, just a real badass kind of wrestler, and I just I remember being in awe of that guy. He just he knew one speed. Uh, some might call it methodical, but it, it was realistic. And uh, his battles in, in mid Atlantic were are are the stuff of legend. Uh, his his battles with every star there. Um, I always liked Greg Valentine, and when we first got Greg Valentine. We got him as a time traveler in the Champions game, isn't that correct?
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
2: He wound up having a great feud with Bishop Hell. <laughs> For me, oh, at least. I gotta, pl- I gotta play There's that some- match.
0: <laughs> On Kronos. Corey's yes. next Kronos show.
2: <laughs> no, this was years ago. I-, I think I got his card with the first purchase I uh, made of Champions. So Somehow he had just been released. So anyway, there's a bunch of useless trivia. I just missed Johnny in, in, uh, in Mid-Atlantic. Uh, I wish I hadn't. I, I think from what I have seen in Johnny Valentine, I mean, you talk about somebody that made it believable that was him. Uh, and both Valentines have been uh, favorites of mine ever since we got them. And I have done the perhaps prerequisite feud of father versus son. I've done that uh, with the Valentines and they're currently reunited, but who knows? Something could turn them again.
0: Yeah. So Corey, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I used. I mean, obviously I used Greg too in the Champions of the Galaxy in my, um, uh, I think in my CPC or in my uh, second or second Fed that predated the CPC. Um, just a kind of a fun card to have this old school guy in the future. Uh, so it was cool that, you know, obviously Tom re-released him as part of the Legends line. And I seem to recall that um, even when Greg, when Greg's champions card was released, that there was talk or whether Greg had given permission or how it came about but Tom was already planning for a Johnny Valentine card. Um, The GWF files that that Stu edited, there's artwork by Brian Bendis that never got released of Johnny Valentine. Uh, So this was kind of in the works for a while and I know Tom was a big Johnny Valentine fan so uh, I remember when Johnny passed, reading about him in the Observer, and, and really getting an appreciation for his style and the draw that he was, and the believability that he brought. Uh, he was one of those guys they talk about where people may think, well, everything else on this card isn't on the up and up, but Johnny Valentine, he's real, and uh, he just made made people believe. So that was awesome. Johnny was my first uh, Legends World Champion, my USWA. Uh, just had a very short run, and, and unfortunately never got it back. But then he and Greg were an awesome tag team for me, um, had a brief reign as champs, but just, but their, their record was just great beat some of the tougher teams. I think they, I'm pretty sure they beat the road warriors at least once. And uh, were just a, just a great tag team for me. I kind of saw them as, as tweeners, you know, they were, the fans loved them because they beat up everybody. So they, uh, they got some cheers that way, but yeah, two, two great uh, cards. Great that we could have the, the family members uh, both as part of this initial set. And I, and I never did the the father-son feud. I, that just didn't, didn't really interest me. You know, maybe, maybe at some point I'll, I'll consider it. But um, the closest I did was Johnny was feuding with Nick Bachwinkle for the world title. And they'd had a couple of, like, you know, disqualification finishes or something. And um, no, I, was, I'm, I take that back. It was the Crusher. Crusher and Valentine were both chasing Bachwinkle. So Crusher and Bockwinkel get a lumberjack match. And they choose their lumberjacks. Crusher on his side chose Johnny and Bachwinkle chose Greg so you kind of had the valentines as opposite lumberjacks and you know nothing it was just teased they never really you know slugged it out or anything but uh that was that was the closest I got to having the valentines uh uh, tangle
0: so I used the valentines as a tag team as well and I kind of saw them as the Andersons just out there clubbering everybody and they were my champs for quite a while and I think as I I, as my AWA kind of went out of business as AWAs tend to do. Um, they were stirring a feud with the midnight express and the valentines were definitely the faces in that. Cause the midnights had injured Johnny valiant. They did something despicable and gave him a long-term injury. So that was going to be my, um, kind of impetus to have Jimmy become the boogie woogie man. And then Johnny turned to managing the dream team, um, and, and kind of bringing them in to get revenge against the midnights. But, uh, I think the Valentine's I think they had a, a really good match with the midnights with, you know, Lane and Eaton and held on to the belts though. And I don't remember if the Road Warriors in my fed when they were tag champs, if they ever beat them, but they, you know, beat some of the, the better teams in the fed and um, did it well, dropping those atomic skull crushers and everything, those, those big elbows. So Johnny was a card that um, Tom had a lot of hand in developing because he was a who's a favorite of of Tom's, and, you know, Greg, we tweaked the card a little bit from the original champion stats, and, you know, we just released that new um, Promoter Prime edition last week, and Tim did a lot of research on that, and I think really tuned in more to a, a mid-Atlantic era or, like, intercontinental WWF one. Um, Tom made that original one, so I'm not as Sure, if he was just kind of watching the WWF from whenever, or, or those were his recollections. But uh, Tim did some great work on that. All right, so we're, we're getting down to the last two in the the regular set. We have Harley Race. Corey, you want to talk about Harley?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, what a huge name to have as part of this this group. Uh, uh, seven or eight time NWA champion, depending on those those quick changes, if you count those. Uh, but you know, to have race who was the top nwa kingpin and Bachwinkle, the top awa guy um i mean just dream matches you know and uh you could schedule all these dream matches and just awesome to have those guys you know i kind of see those two and then probably baba and rogers and gotch as kind of your top five singles guys out of that out of that core 24 and uh yeah harley had a, a strong card a strong level two offense with the three uncovered three moves he had a a one down and a pin of two, you know, we didn't have that on a lot of these guys in this set, a strong plus three finisher. And as, 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 you know, more footage of him in his prime came available, you know, kind of realized that the pile driver wasn't his only um, finisher. So the, the color re-release kind of updated the finisher setup. I think that color, the color updates are a good representation of his, of his finishers and still a strong card even with some changes, but Uh yeah, just a just an awesome, awesome name to have as part of this group. Um, and just kind of seeing long-term how some other Harley race connections would come into the game. Um, from his time as a manager, you know, we've got Vader now in the game and Mr. Hughes and and guys that he were part of his stable during his manager years. Uh so what you know, obviously I know people have talked about wanting to have a king Harley race card at some point, and well, we'll see, you know, maybe that could be a promoter prime possibly but you know that's just and i know that's some of your memories of him but you know the, the, this nwa era this is the the real the real good stuff out of, out of harley race
0: so tim what are your thoughts about harley race's card and our development of that card
3: well other than the fact that, that i that was that was one where we botched the the uh the duplicate move right we had the duplicate move on the yeah because there were some late changes and there was a, a, a little editing s-
0: snafu yeah the double swinging neck breaker
3: that's yeah okay and uh but again having a, a somebody care the caliber of a harley race uh nwa champion so well respected in the business um you know he he was you knew he had to be one of the top guys and i think we did a pretty good job we i know we struggled trying to figure out a finisher for him mm-hmm. kind of like we did with bachwinkle mm-hmm just trying to say, well, geez, he used the the, the vertical suplex. Geez, he used the headbutt. Geez, he used the, the the pile driver. And just trying to come up with what do we want to do and how do we want to present it on the card was a bit of a struggle. But other than that, I I thought that uh, I thought we did a pretty good job. And he was a, a major player for me uh, the the whole run that uh, the NWF went. All
0: right, Stuart, what do you think about Harley?
3: <laughs> Another name.
2: I'm amazed we got. Uh, I mean. Legitimate tough guy. Uh, great to have Harley in the game. Can be a tweener. Uh, I've used him as such. He once had a 32 defense title reign uh, for me as the wow. uh, champion in my Legends Fed. That was getting it done. That's one of the, the uh, better cards ever created in the Legends game. And just another name that to me, I was really excited about at the time when we got him. I mean, put that there with uh, Rogers and Baba. Uh, and Nick Bockwinkle, you've got four very solid guys. Uh, It's just, again, I can't believe we got Harley Race. I think it's awesome, and uh, he's right up there with the great NWA champions of all time.
0: Yeah, I think having Harley Race is just a huge, huge win for the game, and and having him, um, I think, gets us a lot of credibility. You know, Stu, you said, I think, last time that Getting the Road Warriors really put the, put the game on the map for you and made it legit. I think having guys like Harley Race and Buddy Rogers and Nick Bonkwinkle on the single side definitely does that too. And um, I'm glad we kind of tinkered with his card for the color set and, and changed up the finishers because, yeah, he was a, he was a man of many finishers um, and, and definitely a big name around these parts where I live in Central Iowa um, with his involvement in the Central States region. So Tim, talk to us about Giant Baba creating his card for that first set. Uh, you can you lead off the discussion on that, please?
3: Yeah, I I really enjoyed the fact that that we had Baba in that that first game edition. He was somebody that I always kind of enjoyed watching when I would get the All Japan tapes because even though he was the top guy once, he was smart enough to relegate himself to the mid card when he knew he was slipping physically. Although every now and then, you know, he'd, he'd get that, that, that night or that, that, uh, that week of a, a tour over there where he'd kind of be feeling himself a little bit and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to get in the tag match with Stan Hansen, you know, and, and, and go take a lariat or something like that. And just to prove I can still hang. Uh, but I, I thought that it, it was kind of a great international uh, person to have in there. And it was so much fun just watching his old matches. And, and when he would hit his finisher, he just hear the announcement, neck up, break a drop ball. <laughs> and then, and it, was just, it, it was just so much fun watching his stuff. And he wasn't, when he was younger, I mean, and, and could get around a little better. He was, he was a top-notch guy. And he was, he, he, he was just a lot of fun to, to go through and, and watch the matches and put the card together
0: what I recall from him when he was kind of winding down and um, when you mentioned Stan Hansen, there was that tag team tournament. It was 93 or 94 where him and Hansen teamed up because their partners, Mm -hmm. there was injuries or something and kind of, they got launched into the, the stratosphere of that tournament. And that was a lot of fun to see him kind of in his prime again, hanging in there with, you know, the newer guys.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I remember watching uh, a couple things on, on YouTube with him just taking that lariat from Hanson at different times when they, they were in there against each other. And man, I, I mean, Stan didn't pull any punches with him, even though he was the boss. So, right. Uh, yeah. Just, just good stuff though. Uh, and, and just a, a really unique kind of a, a person to have in that, that first set to kind of make it kind of a worldwide international type set.
0: All right. Stu, Giant Baba, what do you think?
2: I became a fan of Baba's with the countless hours I watched of uh, uh, Japanese wrestling. I, originally, I, I just I couldn't get the fascination with Baba. But when I watched a younger Baba, I still couldn't get the fascination with no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I gained an appreciation of Jaya Baba as a worker. I mean, in, obviously, he was way over in Japan, and I used him in the for A long time in the top face role in my Fed, he, w- he was the man uh, in terms of the, the king baby face in, in, in my Legends Fed. Another name that was going to appeal to wrestling enthusiasts, uh, in terms of this set, it really it kind of helped to put it on the map. It, Baba is legit great, I mean, one, one of the two, one of the three in Japanese wrestling history that's on there three out of the four, at least it's on their Mount Rushmore of wrestling. And uh, it's just another great get another fascinating uh, signing. And uh, I, I need to pull out some old Baba video. I haven't watched some in a long time and regain my appreciation for my former number one baby face
0: so there's a fantastic baba match out there from 73 or 74 against pedro morales in all japan
2: oh
0: yeah (laughs) and pedro comes off the top rope with his cannonball sit down splash what do you ever call it
2: nearly kills him
0: yeah because baba sits up into it to make it look better i'm like oh my god he about killed baba um And yeah, having Giant Bob, it was so cool. Then you have the connection with the Destroyer and and their whole history from all Japan. And one angle I did with those two um, later on was Destroyer kind of stepped back from wrestling. So he still wore his mask, but then he he had a suit and a bow tie on. And it was because he couldn't win the America's title from Mil Mascaras. So they had this rival, even though they're both faces. So then he kind of turned heel, and because of his dealings with all Japan, convinced Giant Baba to go after Mil Mascaris. And I kind of presented it like Umaga was popular at the time. And it's not like I had Baba's face painted, but Baba would come out there and just beat everybody's ass and hit him with the baba chop and all this stuff and neck breaker drop and you know destroyer was like egging him on in the corner you know in his little little bow tie and suit and being the bad guy and so he swapped the title back and forth between mascaras so the mascaras giant baba feud was uh pretty cool in my fed so all right Corey giant baba
1: yeah, just another great name to kick off the legends line. Uh, similar defense to Harley with the one down and the pin, so long matches, which he should have. You know, you look at his history. I mean, he he shouldn't be ending matches in five moves. You know, he's going to be wrestling a while. Um, yeah, did you know I pushed him like Stu as a, as one of the top baby faces? He never won the world title for me. Um, had, a, had a short reign with the Southern title and um, short tag team title reign with the, with the Destroyer. I, I did that alliance. Pretty early on and later they did feud uh, destroyer betrayed him for money and attacked him, collected a bounty on him and on uh, on uh, on, uh Ed strangler lewis and ricky dozon as well that was kind of a, the group feud uh, but yeah just a a great card um again like i said with kowalski in the game as well those were your two giants of the set and uh just a, a great name and now you know chad mentioned the connection to harley race in the nwa title now we've got jack briscoe who is the other wrestler he defeated for that title so you can really relive those say, yeah 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 relive those matches as well
0: okay so as re- another great oh go ahead
1: I, I was just
2: gonna say this if you want to really appreciate baba i think it's, it's a great match he has against it's black and white against bruno sammartino and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, you'll come away from that match it's a younger baba with a greater appreciation of giant baba the guy mm-hmm. was an athlete
1: yes he was i've seen that match too
0: so as and we wrapped up the original 24 we're also going to touch really quick on the three special edition cards that kind of came out either with those original seven cards or came out right after that or original set came out so we have virgil nikita breznikoff and dick hutton and this is definitely a case of one of these things is not like the others so uh stewart why don't you go first and talk about dick hutton
2: uh, Dick Cutton is another one that I gained a newfound appreciation of uh, just from doing this set and starting and working on Legends of Wrestling and researching him. Incredible amateur. I believe he wrestled for the what precursor of Oklahoma State. Yep. Um, A&M. Um, and had a fantastic amateur career. He was hand handpicked successor uh, of him as world champion. And Unfortunately, Dick just never, well, the, the knock against him as a professional wrestler is he never put butts in seats as world champ, but he was a legitimately great wrestler and other pro wrestlers uh, respected him. And so that gave, it, it gave, gave him some aura or some degree of uh, respectability uh, just from that fact alone. So he wasn't a great draw. He was a fantastic wrestler. He held the world belt for well over, or over a year. And if you're handpicked by Luthes, that's pretty good in my book. And he's another one that the uh, just because there's more video available and you guys really know your stuff. The color iteration of Dick Hutton was uh, very well done and is a, a very fun card to use. It's kind of a upper-level, upper upper card uh, wrestler that can certainly threaten for the world belt. So you know, a fun card. That, a fun card in general is black and white, but I think the color version is even better.
0: So Tim, you know, what are your recollections of, of Dick Hutton and his NWA title reign and, you know, the opportunity we had to meet him at the um, Stez Hall of Fame?
3: I, I was thrilled to have him in the game, first of all, because re- regardless of what, you know, the, the reputation has been about his uh, his drawing power as champ, just the more you read about it and the more you, you see or hear, it, it seems that that the NWA didn't do the greatest job of really setting him up for success with his title run because they it was kind of a, a last-minute thing and and trying to figure out who Thez would want to drop it to. And all these territories that that were out there didn't really have any exposure to him. So they didn't really know who he was and they didn't have time to get him in there and really build him up. So I think that's one of the reasons that he, he wasn't the, the, the best drawing champion they ever had. Um, that aside, uh, just the, the fun we had with, with him in, in, uh, in, in Newton and in Waterloo. Uh, was he at Waterloo or was he just No, Newton?
0: he, was just he passed away before the Hall of Fame left.
3: Me. That's what I thought. So, um, But when we met him in Newton, it was so much fun just watching him and Vern you know haggle over that 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 one amateur match in college that that kind of cost hutton that that four-time ncaa champ uh tag Mm -hmm. and just just super nice guy i I remember having conversations with him and and he he was just thrilled that people wanted to still talk to him and and knew who he was and Mm -hmm. and you know appreciated his legacy um but I, I love having him in the game. I'm I'm glad we got to do him in color and and uh, kind of I think his his stats kind of got toned down a little bit before from what we originally had come up with. And I'm glad we were kind of able to bump him back
1: up a little bit when
0: we did the color card. Yep, yep, I agree. Corey, Dick Hutton.
1: Yeah, I met him as well, and what a nice gentleman. Um one of the one of the early cards that I got autographed. I remember um the when when tom released him it was after the 24 set somewhere kind of in the summer or spring and he did a thing in the promoter where he just randomly sent 10 people a copy of the dick hutton card and i got one <laughs> so um but i you know I, I was excited to get that card and get it autographed and then sadly after that last time we saw him that was when he passed away um and i remember getting mad at dave melzer because when hutton passed as melzer often did with hutton he would point out his lack of drawing power but I just felt that wasn't the time and so I emailed Meltzer and I kind of laid into him that you know this wasn't the time to be pointing that out and and uh, you know and then well no but uh but I you know I Did just you hear finally, back <laughs> no of course not <laughs> but but I uh, I uh, you know I just thought well yeah we get it but you know drawing aside um like Stu said Lou Fez wanted to put the guy over and that that shows the respect and the, the toughness for for him so uh, I'm so glad that we could get him in the game and like I said I'm so glad I could get get, get an, one of the cards autographed uh, be- before he passed because what a what a friendly gentleman
0: he was he was so nice and he was so humbled because um, we signed him at the the Hall of Fame for the game and he's like, "Well, why would you want me in this?" It's like, "Well, because, sir, you're a legend. You know why? Why wouldn't we want you in this?" So, um, and then the next year, we we had him sign his card and everything. And uh, I, I think the four people who host this podcast are probably the only four people on the planet who have um, autographed black and white Dick Hutton cards. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't uh, bet a hundred dollars on it, but I might bet you ten. Um, I I don't think he was making a lot of fan fest appearances and everything. And even though, I I, the one he was signing for Stu, I said I'll just leave blank for my. He signed that one to Chad too. So Chad. So Stewart has has a personalized one, but you know it is not personalized to Stu. But that that that, that's (laughs) the break, Stu. That might have caused you not to be in the draft too. I'm not sure. He was pouting about that. Um, was resentful. Yeah. So, and I think we've talked about this, but you know what? You have twenty-five episodes. Sometimes you forget some stuff. Um, you know, when when he passed there, that first card, there was a couple of um, maybe liberties. I'm like, well, he was Oklahoma's, you know, state cowboy. We'll put a cowboy backbreaker on her. And then in Meltzer's obituary, I read that he beat Ricky Dozen with the cowboy with a backbreaker and it wasn't like the last time ricky dozen submitted or something or
1: yes or one of the few times ever one of the
0: few times and i'm like yes that's right i I lucked into that one Mm -hmm. um so that was that was a good memory of dick hutton so and but i am glad we had a chance to um do the color card for him and maybe bump him up a little bit because i think he should be there and i think i mentioned this before as well but in the recent book about the NWA title, um, which I can't even remember the name right now, and I can't see it because I have too many books. But the the one that came out about the the belt that like Luthes, Gene Kaniski, Pat O'Connor buddy, whatever that belt's called. Corey, do you know? Corey is searching. Corey is scouring the internet. Uh, Crown Jewel. Crown Jewel, excellent. It. Not,
1: not, not it's to it. be confused with the WWE <laughs> Middle Eastern. <laughs>
0: or Crown Royal, who is not a sponsor, That's... but will be probably by next week for us. Probably. Um, so the Crown Jewel <laughs> book, it talks You're about, about show. how uh, how uh, basically Dick Hutton never had a title belt when he was NWA champion because Thez took his belt and started touring as the NWA yep. national champion. And poor Dick Hutton, you see these pictures of him with a belt that's some old ohio tv belt that he had um from i think it was the wll wlw tv promotion in columbus ohio or something and, and that was the belt that he wore in a lot of his promo pics so that crown jewel belt never came into uh, into effect until pat o'connor was champion so poor dick hutton he's disrespected enough and then he never had an nwa title belt i feel bad for him i think we need to draw him one and put it on his card so agreed maybe that can be a special edition down the road too um okay let's see next we have virgil Corey. memories of virgil and his one Galacticon appearance
1: oh and what an appearance it was um it was a surprise appearance at the 2002 convention i believe it was so again um before the release of this full set he was and he, and he was not part of the 24 as chad said he was a special edition part of that original seven I, you know and i thought it was cool that you know to really complete million dollar man ted DiBiase we got Virgil as well, he, he showed up, signed his card, you know, just, just, I just couldn't believe here's Virgil at the Sheldon house, and, uh, yeah, he's just, you know, he's obviously gained a reputation for fan fest appearances over the years, and the, the things he does, but, um, yeah, just, uh, again, his, he didn't have, um, any, you know, updates or re-releases until just this past December, as, as one of the, uh, Promoter Prime cards with Legends Expansion 6, Uh, So this was a long time in coming. His his only other card did not have the current format of the height, weight, and hometown listed until just a few months ago. So, uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, definitely one of those fun lower card names to really complete your fed, complete Ted DiBiase or whatever you want to do with them. For me, right now he's Soul Train Jones, and uh, and actually doing doing okay with his with his partner SD Jones. Uh, So they're uh, they're ripping it up in my fed.
0: Stuart, Virgil, what do you think? Well, Virgil was marketable
1: in that he was a
2: very recognizable uh, valet for Ted DiBiase. That's about it.
0: Okay. <laughs> Tim, what do you think about Virgil?
3: The special edition card was really cool because it it, it gave Ted DiBiase his foil, you know, and, and I think that that was a, a, a kind of a good addition at, at that stage of the game. To, to have somebody like that. And the, the thing at Galacticon that I, I remember, he, his, uh, his gimmick table where he was set up wasn't really doing a lot of traffic, wasn't getting a lot of business. And there were times that if you would walk by, he would he would just kind of try to engage you in, in, in conversation. Hey, how are you doing? What, what's your name? And then when you told him your name, he would grab a, a photo, sign it and hand it to you and say, there you go, $10. <laughs> so he, he was a businessman he was trying to he was trying to make his money while he was in jamestown and i i don't blame him
0: i think virgil with an empty gimmick table line has been a reoccurring theme for the past 20 years or so <laughs> <laughs> yep um yeah i mean it was, it was cool to have virgil there got him to autograph his card i had to haggle with him on the price a little bit i'm like i'm like dude just tell me how much money you want me you know for me i don't really care i just want my card signed and the one thing i remember about virgil's appearance and, and i don't think he would um be upset if we mentioned this um jack uh duracos is uh, again we don't know how to say everybody's name loud and noxious um our, our good friend jack who actually met at the first galacticon and then he showed up quite a few years later was there with with his girlfriend at the time and he, do you remember this cory where virgil said he called her biscuit head? oh yes <laughs> biscuit head <laughs> virgil was calling jack's girlfriend biscuit head and, and he kind of looked at her and goes well because she's got a head like a biscuit and yes. i don't know if that was like a good i mean she seemed like a
1: nice young lady i don't know it-
0: and Virgil, I it was a you know, term of endearment.
1: Yeah, he when he was he speaking, he spoke very positively about biscuit head. So I think I think he meant it well.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, and then last but not least, we have Nikita Bresnikov. Um, And you know, Nikita Bresnikov was somebody I had not heard of when the card initially came out, but now as I've learned more, he actually was Nikolai Volkov's manager. Um, you know, on on the independent circuit and he's uh, i've met him in person at the cac picked up his book he did a really cool kind of history book of the 70s wwf and i i know tim said it wasn't that enlightening to him but i don't think anybody's researched that era as much as tim for his own wwf replay set so um I I can see why he said that, but uh, again, a really, a really nice guy. And, you know, I follow him on Facebook and he posts a lot of results stuff out there. And and you can tell that he was friends with Nikolai and it was um, someone he definitely admire because every once in a while he'll post post remembrances of Nikolai out on Facebook. So it's cool to have him in the game and definitely will, you know, somebody he's probably not high on the list to get colorized but you know maybe through pro prime or something we can do that at some point to, to get him in there uh Stu, nikita brejnikov
2: i don't really have anything to add other than his book is fun his book was fun to me because i don't profess to know that era that well of 70s wwf books called when it was real i think or something yep. along those lines and get it from scott teal and it it's a it's a good book it's a fun book and from what i've heard he sounds like a genuinely nice guy so um, yeah Highly recommend the book. It's worth your while.
1: Corey. Yeah. He actually added me on Facebook, uh, well, maybe two, three years ago. Um, I believe through connections with Travis Heckel mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, he posts, uh, just constantly posts, you know, uh, old programs from the the WWF territory, um, you know, lineups and, and any memories he had, if he was there, or, or uh, even some photos as well from some of those, um allentown hamburg tv tapings he goes this is the night that you know this team debuted and by the end they were the tag champs and so definitely you know his his historian skills are just wonderful and you, you know yeah, yeah i've just i've, I've gained more respect for him for him as as that than being in the game uh so i'm i definitely think it's great having having his card or having him represented in our game um yeah like chad said maybe we'll redo him at some point and not not a high priority, but you know now that I've gotten to know him a little bit on Facebook, I'm I I'd put him above you know redoing the wrestling bear or Abraham Lincoln. So, whoa, wait, wait! <laughs> I know I, that's gonna that's gonna cause some controversy. Oh my
0: God! But what about a George Washington card? No, we want oh, a George
1: Washington card. Don't get me started
0: <laughs> with the cherry tree splitter finisher. So Nikita Brezhnikov, Tim, what are, what are your recollections? He wasn't somebody we were super familiar with, but learned more about later.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think he was fun to have as a manager for the foreign guys. You could, you could throw him in there with, with Volkov and Sheik and and it just kind of made sense. So it was good to have him early on before we had any of the other managers. Uh, he was probably the, the man, my manager of the year uh, for year one just because <laughs> he had no competition. And as we got to, to, you know, finally meet him later on. And, you know, as we've talked about the book, um, uh, what a nice guy. I mean, just a, Mm -hmm. just a super nice guy really respects the game, respects, you know, Phil Singer games and Tom and the whole nine yards. And I I have a lot, I hold him in a lot higher esteem now than I probably did when I first got that card where I'm like, who is this guy?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's what happens sometimes as we learn about guys we didn't know about, you know, or we get the (laughs) opportunity to meet them. It's like, you know, hey, this is a this is a great guy, so we're just going to support him based off that a little too. You know. Oh
3: yeah, so. and and you know, as much of the like I said, you know, I, as it's been brought up. I mean, it, even though I'd done a lot of the, the the research in WWF for the the bootleg sets, it was still really nice to read the book and go through some of the things. And there were some angles on TV and things that I hadn't seen when in in the materials I've reviewed. So mm-hmm. it was still just a just a really interesting read.
0: I would imagine that initial first year manager of the year race between Virgil, Sherry Dupree, and Nikita Bresnikov was pretty neck and neck in the NWF.
3: Yeah, it it, it was uh, it, it was a tough one, but I, I think because he was the uh, the leader of the foreign menaces, I, I think he got the, the the win.
0: Okay, so let's kind of wind this things down. Stuart's getting a little sleepy eyed. Uh, Corey, you have any uh, shout outs?
1: Yeah. Our usual podcast friends, uh, Sam Fain from the roll up official Phil singer games podcast, as well as his own, uh, King of pro wrestling pod, podcast. Grandpa Choco from the Phil singer game fan podcast and the GWF promoter YouTube channel, uh, Steve tower from, uh, after further review and, uh, Dave Little's uh, Heartland championship wrestling play on YouTube. Uh, thanks guys for continuing to put out great content. I've been enjoying uh, the roll up shows. I'm in the middle of uh, yesterday's episode that dropped. Uh, with the iwtv representative so we keep the great keep the great content coming um i'll also throw in a plug you know this weekend hopefully by the time we will release this ahead of this but we've got the road to galacticon uh virtual event taking place saturday and sunday it's free promoters it's free um uh, you know even if you can pop in here there um i know uh i'll be on for the the legends panel chad's gonna be on Stu might not make it this weekend can't know? make this one but that's okay all right. okay and uh, I'm not sure about Tim. So at least at least two of us will be there and uh, we'll answer your questions so as, be- as best as we can. So yeah, but no, you know, j- jump on board for a little bit this weekend and we'd love to talk to you. Stuart, what do you got to say?
2: Well, Chad, I wanted to recommend a book. Uh, if there are any basketball fanatics out there uh, like myself, I am a big time basketball fanatic and I love the history of the game. And there's a book called Rise and Fire by a gentleman named Sean Fury. It's the history of the jump shot, which you would think would be a rather narrow in scope book. Uh, but like it, a pamphlet? Yeah. <laughs> it's five pages, <laughs> it's a quick read. Uh, he traces the history or the evolution of the jump shot from uh, when Naismith invented the game to now. But the the interesting part, or the really interesting part about the book is all the playground legends, there's just a whole section devoted to playground legends that flamed out, that people just hold in reverence to this day for their basketball skills, but for whatever reason flamed out and never made it to the NBA. And there's a section on the women's game in Iowa, of all things, because apparently in the late 60s and 70s, Iowa girls six on six basketball was the thing. And there was a big rivalry between uh, two stars named Denise Long and Jeanette Olson. I don't think there's any relation to you guys. I don't think so. But they played in a state playoff game in 1968, which I actually watched footage of. uh, And one scored 76 and one scored in the 60s. I mean, these people were just uh, incredible, incredible athletes. But in any event, uh, learning about the the legends of the game who are legend regionally, uh, and never really made it big time it was fascinating stuff to me. And it's just a good read There's a whole chapter devoted to Larry bird is my all-time favorite athlete of any sport. So I, I recommend it for any and all basketball fans out there as a good read uh, on the sport of basketball, the history of basketball and uh, good night, Denmark.
0: So, okay. We got to explain the six on six thing. Cause I don't know if everybody knows what this was. Cause they, they actually played that. They played that when I was still in high school. Really? Yeah, in in some I I'm pretty sure Iowa was the last state to play 6 on 6 cuz the theory was back in the olden days girls would get winded running up and down the court. Right. So it was half court basketball. So you had three defensive players and three offensive players and you couldn't you you, you of course would pass it across the the half court but you couldn't advance it. Correct. So when these two people, you know, when that person's scoring seventy six points, it's because all she—I don't mean all she's doing, but she's, you yeah, know, she's on half court getting the ball, and then feeding in there. And obviously, it took a lot of skill. But yeah, the, the bigger schools in Iowa started playing five on five at some point because, like, when when there would have the girls' basketball tournament every year, which was sandwiched between the wrestling tournament and the boys' basketball tournament, they had. You know, now they have classes based on the size of the schools, yeah. you know, like one A through four A or whatever your state does. But they had a five on five championship and a six-person championship. Cool. And it was the mo- nothing against my friends who played basketball in our high school, but it was they were terrible. It was the most boring shit ever to watch. It was just dreadful. And um yeah, it was so sometime in the early to mid 90s i think they finally got rid of it and and you know went to all five on five in the state of iowa but i think iowa was the last state that had it so i think you're right so yeah that's uh there's your six on six basketball lesson for today who says we don't cover a lot of sports here on uncharted territory so I just want to thank everybody who commented on episode 24, which we won a an award for um, actually from the Surprise Birthday Party Alliance um, for Corey's surprise birthday and, and just how freaking epic it was. So thanks to Zeke, Tournament Master, Ace 2017, Tiger Samurai, Rob, Toaster Boy, Troy, and Matt for all commenting on the epicness that was Corey's birthday party and i have i have a surprise for the panelists right now this is hot off the press 43 minutes ago not that i look at the internet while we're recording because i wouldn't do that i purely focused on this show but i did see our friend grant toaster boy had a question for the legends team regarding the new charts that he just posted on the new out of the Ring chart you roll for count there's three instances where you roll for count out do you add a fatigue token if the count out is not rolled um, the way I played tonight, I did not because the chart didn't say to, but I'm curious of adding one after the count as some sort of official rule if I'm just brainwashed that way from the regular charts. Great question. Um, my take is you would, because I yeah, thought there was an out of the ring chart revision at some point where you did. And I apologize because I thought we put that on this new vintage chart i thought we did too so. so maybe an instruction fell off i'm trying to get yeah. my charts right now but, but
1: yes grant i would i would do like chad i would add one if the count out if the, if the count out doesn't happen
0: oh no 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 no! it's on here grant You, may, you oh. might it's just up at the top it says in the instructions it says for potential count out use your you or your opponent's pin rating if there's no count out add one to that wrestler's pin rating whoo thank goodness it's on there um, Excellent. But Grant, we're always glad to ask, answer your questions, but I'm going to put in the thread. You got to wait till this show comes out before we answer your question. I'm not putting in writing, buddy. So, um, no, That. thank you for being interactive, speaking interactive. Corey will put in the show notes how you can leave a, a question for us or a comment or anything. Um, you know, Mad Dog 1981 had a great suggestion gosh, it might have been a couple months ago about having a um, kind of an ask me anything show we are gonna yes. do that online it is on our schedule and we'll give you guys plenty of warning and hopefully we'll have more than two questions because that would be kind of embarrassing so yeah Tim any any final comments from you up in uh, Buffalo
3: no I, I, you know no real shout outs just want to thank everybody again for for listening and continuing to listen and uh, hopefully we continue to draw in some new people here and there and uh, and we'll be talking again here down the road
0: all right thank you sir so um once again we really appreciate you listening uh hopefully this um kind of walk down memory lane with the original 24 plus three special edition cards uh legends black and white set triggered some good memories for you we'll certainly do this in the future we're also going to get back with uh, mark ashby in the near future and review some club galactica super reports and that'll lead into us reviewing um invasion 2089 so we got about the next two two and a half months booked out here on uncharted territory and i think we'll have some fun we'll be hitting some different topics and doing some new participatory things and i think we're going to talk about that on saturday too at the road to galactic con so for everybody here on the uncharted territory podcast have a good night
1: uh stay safe and be good to each other good night everybody the 2021 George Tragos Luthes Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame Induction Weekend takes place July 15th through 17th in Waterloo, Iowa. Come see many of the legends of wrestling and the future stars of the sport. This year's award winners include former WWE and UFC star The World's Most Dangerous Man Ken Shamrock, former WWE Champion and Olympic Powerlifter Mark Henry, six-time former WWE Women's Champion Trish Stratus, and the Dean of Professional Wrestling Gordon Solie. And this year's 2021 Hall of Fame class features Iowa's own Earl Wampler, former NWA World Tag Team Champion Don Kernodal, and former WWE Tag Team Champion and Manager Adnan Al Casey. In addition to honoring these wrestling legends, a great card of wrestling action will be presented on Friday night at the Five Sullivan Brothers Center. This card will be brought to you by Impact Pro Wrestling, one of the top independent promotions in the Midwest today. Come check out the Hall of Fame Classic Tournament, Featuring some of the top young wrestlers today including Cole Cabana, Brian Pillman Jr., Madman Fulton, Dominic Garini, Gary J., Jeremy Wyatt, and more. And for the first time in Hall of Fame weekend history, a women's tournament will take place featuring Heather Monroe, Red Velvet, and Miranda Gordy. Meet several of the legends of wrestling's past such as James J. Dillon, Jerry Briscoe, Mr. USA Tony Atlas, Sergeant Slaughter, and more. Also, meet legendary wrestling coach and American wrestler Dan Gable. Get autographs from these stars in one of the most fan-friendly wrestling fan fests around. For the complete list of guests, check out the Luthes George Tragos Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame page on Facebook. For all access passes, call 319-233-0745 or visit the link in the podcast notes. Again, that's 319-233-0745. The twenty second annual George Tragos Luthes Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame Induction Weekend, july fifteenth through seventeenth in Waterloo, Iowa.